we're so glad that you've joined us for this next series, Christmas Begins. You know, this time of year is full of hustle and bustle, excitement and hype, and yet at the same time, behind closed doors, people are experiencing tension in their relationships, financial difficulties, and thus the pressure of trying to meet unrealistic expectancies. Well, in this series, we wanna take a look at how we can find joy, how we can be a light in the world, how we can know what it is to have peace in everyday stressful situations. We believe that when our hearts and our mindsets are stable on the inside, that it relieves pressure on the outside. And so we want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time to listen and investing into you. I believe that this message will inspire you and help you to feel like Christmas has truly begun. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, it is week one of our Christmas Begins series. I mean, seriously, it feels to me like it was only just a while ago that we were doing this last year. It's like, how quickly has Christmas come around for us all, right? Now, um, I'd be interested to know, anybody not got the decorations up just yet? Has everybody like felt the pressure from, because in a marriage, there's always one person that like avidly wants the decorations up super early, way before everybody else, isn't there? In our house, it's uh, my wife and we like to get them up early, July. And um, for me, I'm just like, seriously, do they have to come out that early? And she always says to me, you know, hey, you know, um, you know, if you're like not with me and you lived on your own in your epoxy flat somewhere, like would you even bother with any sort of Christmas decorations? And outwardly, I'm like going, yeah, of course I would, like honestly. But like when I'm with my mates, I'm kind of like, nah, probably not. In fact, if I were to do Christmas on my own, my Christmas tree would probably look something like this right here. It wouldn't quite be a Christmas tree. I would just wrap the box with lights. That would probably just be the most simplistic way of me making Christmas happen if I were on my own. Or if I'm gonna stay married, then I would probably have to make a point and put some lights out in the front that would be something a little bit more like this. Just let everybody know that I'm only doing this because my wife absolutely loves Christmas. And actually, I love the way that she does do our house. It's pretty spectacular. She's certainly gifted in that area. But actually, there's another photo that I want to show you too. And I just think that this is the mistake that probably some of you dads would make. You know, it's kind of like, it's a bit creepy. It's a bit weird. But like, once you've got the thing up, you think, well, it's taken me all day. So I'm not going to turn it around now, am I? You know, and your poor kids like going through counseling right now, traumatized by a great big Santa Claus. But you know, it's not just the decorations and the lighting that we get wrong, is it, over Christmas? I mean, for many people, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. For many people, Christmas really is. It's just a fantastic time of just friends and family and doing food and giving presents, receiving presents. It's absolutely incredible. But also, for many people, Christmas is not a wonderful time of the year. I mean, maybe there are some people that you know. In fact, maybe you're even one of those people that for you, it feels like Christmas is just sort of tough. And when Christmas is tough, it's normally tough because of ordinarily one of two reasons, relationships and finance. Because if there's ever going to be a pressure around Christmas, Christmas time, it's going to be on our relational front and on our financial front. Relationally, things just get hard at Christmas. Christmas. 
And it makes so much sense because we've got all of these events and these Christmas parties and then there's the Christmas Day meal and then what happens on Boxing Day. And you've got to try and orchestrate like who's coming around, who's not coming around, who am I going to allow in my house? And you're worried that if you have crazy, funky Uncle Jimmy round, he speaks so inappropriately and you're going to think like, how am I going to protect my children from that? This could be weird. This could be awkward. And then there's that like cousin that you know of that's gone and got herself yet another new boyfriend. And that's a bit of a problem to you because like you've had all of her seven previous boyfriends around over Christmas and now you're just like this just feels weird inviting a stranger into my home on what should be a day where it should all be about me and my family and kind of like what I want to do and then someone else has got a new girlfriend and you kind of you like her but she's a bit edgy you're a bit edgy and it just feels like man this is just tough and the whole relational mix just feels incredibly difficult financially it's not easy either Because if we look at Christmas, it seems as though the expense for Christmas is only going up and up and up. It just seems like kids' gifts today, they just cost more than they've ever costed. It just sounds and feels like Christmas just is way more expensive. And for 11 months of the year, you can keep those problems just simmering under the surface. But in the 12th month, it kind of like just highlights and makes all of those tensions feel somewhat more amplified. We've always got problems that we can't solve, we've got people that we can't control, and we've got expectations that go unmet. So for many people, Christmas can be difficult, it can be hard, it can be dark for many. And as a follower of Jesus, I don't know about you, but this kind of creates a huge tension for me. Because I kind of think, you know, I want to be the kind of person that can alleviate people's darkness. I want to be the kind of person that can alleviate people's pain. I don't want to be the follower of Jesus that only comes to church and never actually makes a positive difference in the lives of those that are around me. I want to do something about their struggles. But then if you're anything like me, you can feel so overwhelmed so quickly. And then you start to say, well, the problems are so vast. There's so much going on. What am I going to be able to do about that? There's only me. What difference could I possibly make? How could I possibly ever be involved in pushing back the darkness in other people's lives. You know, I guess it's against that theme that I want to speak to you about today. But I want to take you on a very small, and we won't go there for very long, but a small scriptural journey. So I just need you to lean in to me just for a moment and lend me your ears. In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, there is this statement that is made in the very first chapter between verses 1 and 3. And it talks about the very first time that God spoke, and it's the story of creation. And the actual scripture reads about how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and how the earth was formless, it was empty and darkness covered the depths of the deep and how God's spirit hovered over it. But then it talks about the very first thing that God ever said. And you've heard me talk about this before, but in scripture there is something called the law of first mention. So when anything happens on the very first time, you've kind of got to take note of it. It's kind of important that we don't miss something that's maybe going on under the surface. And then God says on day one of the story of creation, he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he goes on to talk about how the light that he had created, he saw it and he thought that it was good. But what's interesting about that is that God didn't make the sun and the moon until day four. And yet he spoke on day one and said, let there be light. And if you're anything like me, a little bit inquisitive, you've got to kind of go, well, why is that? Because that doesn't make any sense. How can there be light if there isn't even a sun in existence yet? 
Well, actually, when you go on a bit of a journey and you try and really interpret what the scriptures are meaning there, that statement of God saying, let there be light, it's referencing an idea. Let there be order in and amongst the chaos. Let there be form and shape and structure within an area where there has previously been none. So when God said, let there be light, what he was actually saying on day one of creation, he was saying, let there now be order amongst all of the chaos. Let there now be form and shape and structure and formation where there has previously been none. What's interesting to me is this this theme, this, this idea carries through into the New Testament. Because John, and the Gospel of John is so interesting, maybe you've heard of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, John, he was the older guy that wrote the fourth Gospel, and scholars will tell us that with regards to John's Gospel, they will talk about it in a way and say that it was written like no other, because it was written by an individual who was probably an older man, maybe at the latter stages of his life, and maybe he was just arriving at a time and a season where he was trying to convey all that he had learned on his journey in life and try and pass on that knowledge whilst he still had the chance to do so. But what's interesting about John's gospel, which came forth out of all the gospels, is that not only was John an older guy trying to pass on information, but when you look at John's life, what you actually see is he had an incredibly difficult life. I mean, John had experienced seeing family members killed. He'd lost friends. He lived in a time where he was ruled by an emperor whose name was Nero. He was incredibly aggressive. In fact, so aggressively, uh, so aggressive would Nero's policy be, would be that he would deploy soldiers into Jewish regions and he would round up all the Jews and he would either enslave them or he would kill them. And John experienced this and he lived in that time. John was alive when there was a siege in Jerusalem. For seven months, no one came in and no one left. No food, no water, no anything. People were starving to death. People were dying because of the crazy disease. It was an incredibly difficult season for John. John was also around when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Why does this mean anything to us today? Well, to destroy the temple would be like like destroying the single most important element of a Jewish person's life. This would have been heartbreaking for John to see. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, losing your local church when it is the absolute center of your community. He'd seen over one million Jews enslaved. He saw his friends, Peter and Paul, executed. John knew dark times. John knew hard times. And yet, what's fascinating about John is that John was convinced that within Jesus, he was certain that he absolutely was the Son of God. And not only was he convinced that he was the Son of God, but he was certain that within Jesus, there was a way of doing life that you could experience by only placing your faith in him and no other. In fact, in John 1 verse 4, he says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, John believed that Jesus was the light of the world and that his light really did have the ability to push back the darkness. John was convinced that actually 
The way that Jesus lived his life, just traveling from town to town, creating stories and story after story of life change, it really did have the ability to make such a positive difference in people's lives. John believed about Jesus that his life was bringing order into people's chaotic situations. John believed about Jesus that he was responsible for pushing back the darkness, order replacing chaos, form replacing structureless. John was convinced that no other person and no other thing had the way of life to offer like Jesus had to offer. Now, okay, we're going to try and connect the dots. So here we've got God in Genesis saying, you know, let there be light. And now we've got the Apostle John speaking about Jesus saying, you know, he was the light of the world and he really did have the ability to push back the darkness and alleviate pain and alleviate hurt and alleviate concern. Well, check this out because now we're going to go to Matthew 5 and we're going to look and try and link this whole thing together by establishing, well, what did Jesus have to say on the matter? Because for me, I'm like you. I'm sort of like, there's lots of stuff in Scripture that's sometimes really hard to interpret and figure out. There's lots of things that go on that sometimes make you feel like, what's that even about? But when it comes to Jesus, I am with him because I don't know anybody else that claimed to have rose again from the dead. So whatever Jesus says, I'm with him and I'm going to do what he says. Now, this is what Jesus says. He's speaking to those that follow him. He says, you are the light of the world. Not your pastor, not your church leader, not your worship leader, not your life group leader, but he says, you are the light of the world. In other words, if you profess to follow Jesus, if you have made the decision to say, you know what? I believe that God, that you're real and that you've given Jesus Christ as your one and only son to die on a cross for me so that I can now live in a real and authentic relationship with you. Jesus is saying, that's you. You are now the light of the world. You are the one that now pushes back the darkness. You are the one that brings order into the chaos. You are the one that now brings form and structure into places and people's lives where previously they've experienced none of that. And then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In other words, now Jesus is kind of like bringing the thing home and he's making it real for us all. He's saying, look, do you really think that God is going to do something so good and so incredible in your life and saving you and making sure your eternal destiny and bringing you into a real and authentic relationship with him? Do you think that God's going to do that for you without placing any expectation that you actually tell somebody about this good God that you now serve? Jesus was like, no, whatever you do, don't do that. That, that would be like you just putting your light and your life under a bucket. That doesn't make any sense at all. Jesus was pointing to the fact that now you follow Christ. That same light that lived in Jesus when he walked the earth, went around and literally transformed people's darkness into light, that now lives in you in many and varied forms, but that same light lives in you. And it's not for you to kind of retract or hold back from talking about that or living that out by example, because you are the light of the world. Let's try and make this really easy for us all to relate to though. 
There are many areas of our life that I guess that we could talk about, but I want to speak about five particular areas where I think that we all now, for those of us that follow Christ, have a responsibility to be the light of the world, pushing back the darkness. And not one of us gets away with this. This affects every single one of us. But if you're sat there thinking, man, I'm only here for the free lunch today. Like somebody invited me to church. I don't even know what this is that I've come to. I've not signed up for any of this. Then I can say, look, I'm so glad that you're here. We're building this church for people like you because we were all in your seat at one point. We're building this church for people who maybe go, I don't know what I make about Jesus yet. I don't know what I make or think about church. We're designing and building this place just for you because we get it. Why would you not doubt? Why would you not question? And we want you to know you can come with your doubts and you can come with your questions because you belong here and you can be family here too. And I guess it's kind of like you get to have a little bit of an insight into the conversation that takes place in a family's living room right now as we talk through some of the ways that this affects us all. Because when Jesus was saying, you are the light of the world, I think that he was probably in part talking about you have a story to tell. Now, granted, Every single one of us has got a different story. And your story is going to have highlight moments and downlight moments. Your story is going to have high points and low points. Some parts of your story you're going to be so excited to talk about. And then, of course, there are going to be others that you would just die if anybody ever found out. There'll be parts of your life and parts of your history that you'd want everyone to know about. And then there'd be things that you wouldn't want anybody to ever find out about. But Jesus, still about your story, he was like, even with whatever story you've been uniquely given by God, you are the light of the world. And it's okay if somebody has a different story to the story that you have, but you are still the light of the world. And he was saying, look, whatever you do, don't be the kind of person that wants to follow Christ and never talk about your story. He was like, whatever you do, don't be the kind of person that wants to follow Christ and knows of God's goodness and knows of God's kindness, but never actually wants to let the thing out from underneath the bucket. He was like, don't do that. That's crazy. Whatever you do, don't be that type of Christian, but let your light shine in the form of your story. And it's okay if you've got a different story to the person sat next to you. That's completely expected. You know, there's an artist, her name is Lauren Daigle, and um, you may have heard of her, her songs are on the radio, but actually her background is she was a worship leader in a local church. Her story would be that she just grew up in church leading worship in not too dissimilar a situation to this. But then a few years back, her songs just started to just take off and her album sales went like crazy. Some people would refer to Lauren as being like this kind of crossover artist that like she mingles in church circles, but also she operates in the secular world as well. Well, I think that she's great and her music is great. You can dial into her music on Radio 1 or wherever. And she's touring and gigging all around the globe right now. But what's interesting about Lauren's story is that a few months back, she was invited to go on a TV show in America, perhaps the largest TV show or one of them that there is. It was The Ellen Show. And um, she went on and she started to sing this song that's called Rise Up. And the words of this song, you'll probably recognize it when I play it in just a moment. But the words to this song are actually a little bit about Lauren's story and about faith in God. In fact, I've got a short clip of Lauren Daigle on The Ellen Show for you to watch right now. 
Our next guest has been compared to everyone from Adele to Amy Winehouse. Her new CD just debuted at number one. She's amazing. Here to perform Still Rolling Stones. Please welcome Lauren Daigle. Which is just a great kind of moment, I think, of somebody that's following Christ, just living out their faith, just out there in front of millions of people on TV. But what was crazy is, when Lauren decided to, in part, share her story on The Ellen Show, a really weird thing started to happen at all of her future gigs and events that she was playing at. There would be a bunch of people from the church world who decided that they were going to go and picket her events. They were going to boycott her events because what they believed was that Lauren should not have been on the Ellen show for a number of various reasons. They believed that Lauren should never have gone into the public domain. They should never have been on that particular show with that particular TV host. And instead, she should have refrained and she should have held back. So now there's like a Facebook campaign. There's an internet campaign against Lauren Diagle. And I just kind of, when I heard about that, I thought, man, that just kind of messes with me because is that not really what we're terribly bad at doing in the church world because somebody else has got a different story to the story that we've got what we want them to do is put it under a bucket what we want them to do is maybe not go to the places where we don't also have opportunities to go to and instead of encouraging and saying this is fantastic that you get to sing about Jesus you get to sing about God in front of millions of people in a way that maybe you and I would never get to do but the fact that you get to do it it should be celebrated, but what we like to do in the church is say, actually, you should probably put that under a bucket because your story is different to mine. You know what I believe? I believe that we should build and create a church where we celebrate every single story across the amount of people in this auditorium with the confidence that we would say, wherever you go every single day in your life, you are responsible to be the light bringer, the darkness pusher, the one that brings the order out of the chaos, the one that brings formation and structure into people's lives where maybe there have never been. And whatever you do, don't be dismissive of your story because God has given you a uniquely made story. And I promise you, if you are just willing to be open to the idea that God can use you, God will use you. But it's not just in the area of your story that you've got to be willing and open to the idea of God using you. Let's talk specifically about the area of your finances. Now, I'm not going to make this into a giving message or a giving talk, but I want to reference it because even in the New Testament, Jesus speaks so much on the subject of money because he knew that it was going to be so close to our heart. But I think that also when Jesus was saying, look, why don't you just decide to let your light shine in the world? It would also include the way in which you use your finances. I think that Jesus knew that you can do so much good stuff with the finance that comes into your house for God's house. He knew of that. And you know what I love? I mean, I'm humbled by this. 
It's the fact that we get together to be part of a church family that is just incredibly generous. I mean, this is how generous you guys are. This year alone, we have already given, given away in excess of 33,500 pounds. And that has gone to the poor, the broken, the needy, the widow, the orphans, an orphanage in Uganda, a childcare facility in Kenya. We've been buying cows for a baby facility so that young, Ugandan babies can have baby milk, something that we all take for granted. And this is all made possible by you with putting our money into helping to fight modern day slavery. It's like, this is what we get to do. And that's not forgetting the fact that we also together provide gas and electric for some of the most elderly and vulnerable in our community. That's what we get to do because you choose to steward and manage your finances well. As a church, we get to push back the darkness. As a church, we get to alleviate pain and stress and concern because we choose together collectively to do this thing. So you know when you're kind of like out at the office party at Christmas, out at the Christmas thing, and you end up having a conversation and someone turns around and goes, man, I'm not really interested in coming to your church thing because I know what churches are like. Like, you know, they've never been, but they know what churches are like. They're all about the money, right? Okay. They're all money-grabbing religious institutions. I know what your church is like. Hey, listen, you know what you can confidently say this Christmas? You can say, well, hey, well, like, not my church, like not our church. That's not the kind of church we're building at all. In fact, we would rather go with a little less so that somebody who has great need gets what they need in this season. So you can confidently say, well, that's not my church. But let me just speak to you very momentarily. For those of you that are maybe, maybe you feel and you sense that God has gifted you with the grace of financial giving. In other words, maybe you just know, and this is the reality of your life, maybe you're a high earner. Maybe you are somebody that is educated in such a way that you're a niche specialist over a particular area of life. Or maybe you're just really super entrepreneurial and you've just got a knack with money. You just know how to make it. It's just so natural to you. You could start multiple businesses, run them all and grow them all. Like you're just a genius when it comes to money. Can I just have a conversation with you for just literally three minutes and say this? Hey, you know the way in which God has put these incredible seeds of financial brilliance in the depths of your soul? It's amazing that you know how to make large amounts of money. It is so incredible. And I hope and pray that you do get to buy the 80-inch plasma that's right in the doorstep of Costco right now. You know, in fact, for some of you, that's just a word from the Lord right there. Your wife may be saying no, but Jesus is saying yes. Do it this afternoon, okay? <laughs> all the men are like, yeah. And all the wives are like, no, 60 inches, fine. And you're like, no, it's got to be 80. Hey, listen, what if, what if the way that God has uniquely designed and created you, what if the reason why you are able to earn the type of money that you do and command the type of salary that you do, what if that's not alone so that you can just have nice stuff? What if it's not just about the bigger TV, the better car, the fancier holiday? What if God has given you with the gift of financial giving? What if he's graced your life to be a difference maker that can actually go, you know what? I am open to the idea of God allowing me and using me to let my light shine. Instead of just building my house, I'm going to build his house. I just want to say to you, whatever you do, don't hide your financial giving 
under a bucket. Don't let that light be diminished in your life because you think it's some random or weird type of thing. God will use you and the skill sets that he's already given you. Let your light shine. You know, what about if we were to talk about work? Because the funny thing is, is this, a lot of people think that the work of the ministry, whatever that means, but the work of the ministry and those that are responsible for letting their light shine should always be like the preacher guy. It should always be whoever is the pastor of the church, right? It should always be whoever is in charge or leading the life group, like it's down to them. It's, it's their responsibility. But actually, when you think about it like this, this is one of the biggest mistakes that I see people that say that they follow Christ making. Because what we do is we sort of like, we, we abdicate our own responsibility of letting our light shine because we think that actually it's down to other people. But where you are every single day of every single week and every single month, you have the ability to let your light shine when you are in work in places and spaces that I only wish that I could get into. In fact, I look back and I think of the amount of conversations that I had a number of years ago when I would work on a night shift and drive a police van and whoever I was with, we'd always end up talking about church. We'd always end up talking about Jesus and people would say these really mad things to me like, uh, how come you can do this job but you just don't seem to swear? How come you seem to be able to control your language, which maybe is a little bit different to those that I was working with. And that was always an opportunity for me to talk about, well, actually, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe that every word that comes out of my mouth should be honorable to him, so I choose not to. But let me tell you, I don't follow Jesus because of how it makes me talk. I follow Jesus because he is the savior of the world. He is incredible. God's one and only son. And now I have a real and authentic relationship with him. So whatever you do, don't write yourself off and think that, that God will only use someone else in their position of work because actually when it comes to letting your light shine, where you are and who you are is just perfectly positioned to be used by God. It's the same as well with university. Maybe we could talk about education or maybe you're, maybe you're in school still, maybe you're still taking your exams. Where you are right now on an education level, don't write off yourself from being used by God. Whatever you do, you are in such a unique place in life. Because when you think of the challenges and the stresses and also the amount of change that's going on when somebody goes to university. I mean, their whole world can change within just a few short weeks. You are someone that as a follower of Jesus, you get the opportunity to let your light shine in whatever educational setting that you work in and where you operate. Don't play it down and think, you know what, I'm gonna let my light shine when I move on to the next stage of life, maybe the work stage. No, no, wherever you are, Jesus would say, let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bucket. But then I guess perhaps the most difficult subject for us to talk about would be the church subject. Like the idea of letting your light shine in a church format, how would that even happen anyway? I think it's one of the biggest shames actually when people are dismissive about the idea about letting your light shine in your local church. Because I believe with all of my heart that the local church was the very thing that Christ's life was given for, and now it's down to us to play our part in building that. Now, let me just speak to you honestly, right? 
When you first came to Liverpool One Church, maybe you came a little bit apprehensive. Maybe you were even a little bit anxious. What was it going to be like? What are the people going to be like? How long is the service going to last? Where do I check my children in? Where are the bathrooms? Where do I get a tea from? Where can I grab a coffee from? And you come in with all of these kind of like nervous thoughts about what your experience is going to be like. Somebody said to me just the other week, oh, I could never really uh, serve or volunteer in a church. What they were saying was, I could never let my light shine in a local church like this. And what they were meaning was like, I couldn't wear the red t-shirt. And that was the inference they made. They were like, I couldn't do the red t-shirt thing. And I was like, no, no, just think about it for a moment. Because even though you're being dismissive of God ever using you in that format right now, can I ask you a question? When you first came to church, did it not alleviate the nervousness and the concern and the anxiety and the stress when you just came up that approach and you saw a point person, just somebody wearing a red t-shirt with a smile on their face that greeted you, that high-fived your kids, that let you know how long the service was going to be? You know when they took you and your family and they showed you how to go about the check-in procedure with our children's Um, volunteers as well. And we talked about that whole thing. And it was kind of like, well, why would you not want to provide that experience for someone else? Because if someone has volunteered their time to make that available to you and your experience as good as we can get it for your first visit to church, why would you not want to be a part of that? Because building church is not only about what happens on the platform. It starts way before that. In fact, you know this statistic flying around? It says that a person's opinion about church is made within the first seven minutes. And typically that means before there's even a chord played by a musician or a word spoken by a pastor. In other words, they decide whether or not they're ever going to come back to the church way before anything happens on the stage. In other words, the most formulative part of the church experience happens by our volunteers who create that environment that says, we are about everyone. We're gonna create an environment that makes it easy for you to follow God. So whatever you do, don't write yourself off and say, oh man, that whole church thing is not for me and I don't really wanna serve in a church. I don't really wanna do that. Hey, no, 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 because now you follow God. It's not about you anymore. It's about those that are still yet to come. And this is just the perfect environment to make it easy for you to let your light shine. You know, yesterday, we had just a bunch of volunteers go out with our city care teams, and they went into some of the most hurting and broken neighborhoods in our city region, as they're doing today. We've partnered with a local bus company and we've kitted the bus out like Santa's Grotto. It's absolutely amazing. And they're giving presents and gifts and drinks to children and to families who ordinarily would not be able to afford to pay for a Santa's Grotto experience. And in fact, yesterday, just within a two-hour window, we had 194 children. And that isn't the parents or those that brought them. 194 children that came through our Christmas Grotto bus. So now let's try and bring this back home and jump through to verse 15. And Jesus says this, neither do people put light, sorry, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And what he was saying was this, now you follow Jesus. Now you follow God since you've put your faith in him. Since you've got that real and authentic relationship with him, you cannot keep that hidden. You are the light 
of the world. And notice that word where he says, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus was saying that you are now charged with the responsibility of bringing order into the midst of people's chaos, that you're the ones that bring peace into the midst of people's unrest. You are the ones that bring hope into times of anxiety and uncertainty. And there is nobody outside of being included within God's reach and within God's circle of love. There is nobody who's ever been away, done something or been someone that could ever fall short of being a recipient of God's love and God's kindness. So why is it all about being light in the darkness? Well, I think that light does three things. Light brings illumination. It illuminates wherever it shines. In fact, we could turn the entire lights off in this auditorium and just one person could strike a match and it would bring enough light to show me my very next steps. That's what light does. And when Jesus said that you are the light of the world, you're charged now with the responsibility in this Christmas season to illuminate other people's darkness, to be the bringers of light and hope in hopeless situations. The second thing that light does is this, it influences. Think about the skyline of Liverpool for just a moment, which I personally think, and I know I'm biased, but I think it's perhaps one of the, the greatest skylines in the entire world, right up there with New York, just incredible. But how different does the skyline of our city look when the floodlights are on because there's a game on at either Goodison Park or Anfield? In other words, because the lights are on, it changes the environment that's around it. And that's what we're caused and requested to do now by Jesus when He says, look, you're the light of the world. Who puts a light on and then hides it under a bucket? Don't do that because when you let your light shine, it changes the way things can look for you and for your friends and for your family and for your colleagues. It influences its environment. And then thirdly and finally, it impacts. Because you may look at me and say, well, you're the preacher. Hey, listen. I get like 35, 40 minute max to do this every single week, that's it. But you have the ability to impact people in your daily lives in the office and in the gym and in the classroom and on the hospital wards. You get to influence hopeless situations in a way that I can't because I'm not in your world. So maybe in this Christmas season, as Christmas begins, we can understand that as we become light in the darkness, we illuminate and we influence and we impact. And then that's how we bring relief to the problems that we can't solve and the people that we can't control and the expectations that remain unmet. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're kind of like, man, this is just crazy, this is just weird and I, I don't know what to make about this. Can I just have a moment with you just, just really briefly? Hey, listen. Now we've made a decision to follow Christ. For those of us that are Christians, we are trying our very best to do this, but we don't always get it right. In fact, we're earnestly trying to do this, but I know that there have been times and seasons where you just think, man, that was rude and that was unsensitive. And I'm so sorry that that's come across that way to you. It's not our heart. It's not what we would want. All it is, is that we understand that Jesus' life in our life has lit up and illuminated and brought so much revelation to us. We wanna share this with you. That's the only reason why we're trying to let our light shine. So, in this Christmas season, 
If you're the one that's facing darkness and hardship right now, I just want you to remember that there is still a hope that's found in Jesus. Or if you're around people this Christmas season who are facing darkness and facing trouble and facing situations that are just like, just crazy, maybe God would use you to be the light in their darkness because you are the light of the world. Hey, thanks so much for watching that message. I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel inspired. Please check us out on all of our social and media platforms on Instagram and on Facebook at Liverpool One Church. And also keep your eyes on our YouTube channel for more upcoming messages and events.